North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Welcome back to another podcast, Mr. Kircher. How are you? I'm very well, Mr. Goodsir. <laughs> so formal today. Aren't we? Yeah, I know. It was because we've got a very uh, formal guest, oh, you know, right? so we, <laughs> we have to watch our P's and Q's and, um, yeah. Well, I did warn you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. So, no, look, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be back again and to um, to welcome today's um, guest interviewee and someone I've known, um, well, actually, since he was, when he was on a councillor on the Waitaki District Council, um, before I was on there, and uh, I think that's the first time that I got to meet Bruce Alberston yeah. and um, got to know him from that time onwards. And, uh, yeah, we've shared, shared a lot of stories and um, a lot of events and things along the way. So, yeah. yeah. So, real pleasure to have you here, Bruce. Thanks, Gary. I'm happy to be here. Do you not remember being a photographer that came out to Burnside Homestead in 1979? Not 1979. 89. I was still at school then. Were you? No, okay. Really 1980-something. <laughs> it might have been 1980-something. Because it was one of your first okay. and you did a wedding. Right. Out, out at our homestead okay. because it was one of our first. Right. So yeah. that's what I remember, Gary Kircher. Okay. Yeah. That might have been my, uh, my brother-in-law sister-in-law maybe yeah sure sure yeah anyway okay so there we go and i remember you and of course i i know you and and we've met a few times but we actually come and stayed at burnside a few times ago with the wee group so yes yeah Yeah, most amazing hosts that was just and you had uh and the best thing about it you had dr peter rodwell he was serving us dinner You know you're in good company. When Either that or he was rescuing those who'd gone down and fallen <laughs> over and broken their arms. No, no, I'm pretty sure he was our waiter that day. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, great to have you here. Thanks, Dave. First question we have to ask you, are you North Targo born and bred or when did you move, in, move into the district? We came here, Alison and I, in 1974. At that stage, we were a young married couple with our children preschool, except the eldest Jane was was school age. And so, um, you know, we're in our 30s and we have been here since 1974, give or take a few years where we came and went a little bit. We're going to claim you as North Otago. Yes. Yeah, so that's fine. Where did you move from? We moved from Dunedin, where we'd been for four years, um, and, and in actual fact, we bought in 1974 and we didn't move permanently till 1977. So. And what was the draw card about North Otago? Then? Well, there were two things. One, I, we had bought Burnside Homestead because we saw it as a long-term project. And, and frankly, North Otago, we didn't know all that well. We didn't know Omaru. Uh, and we were just sure that it could fit with a lot of things. But at the same time, I was also asked to go to Cherry Farm Hospital, which was then the largest psychiatric hospital, psychogeriatric hospital in New Zealand. Uh, and I went there as one of the chaplaincy team uh, from 1977. So that could have been the first time you met Gary. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think he was quite <laughs> no. in the. He wasn't in the geriatric. No, carriage. no, uh, sorry. Uh, 
It had to be said, sorry. And um, that's interesting. So you were a chaplain. Yes. And so that was part of your duty. You took up a job. Yes. Down. Yeah. Yes, I did. And so I commuted, which, again, was part of knowing, uh, particularly North Otago. Yeah. I still have a fondness for the name North Otago, despite Waitaki having a very genuine place in the in the lexicon, not least because it's always been the name of the electorate. Mm. So, you know, uh, Waitaki come North Otago, but it was North Otago that gave Alison and I a great sense of this is a great place for a family. Yep. Uh, inland, out in the uh, Wairaka Valley is really quite a remarkable place, and we've proved that by the 40 years we lived there. Yeah. And I think you would agree, you're moving here to to raise children mm. and have the best quality of life. You exactly. cannot do much better no. in New Zealand than North Otago. Yeah. And exactly. especially that little bit of paradise where you lived out at Enfield. It was, and it still yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, and it's remarkable, people who come over that ridge from Western, and it is, it's actually labelled as one of New Zealand's wind funnels yeah. um, geologically. And, you know, you come and you, you actually, it's like opening up to the promised land. Yeah. Uh, really is. And, you, and, and you've got this magnificent uh, spectrum of the, the Kakanui's in the background in the far distance. And it just is a wonderful part of North Otago. Mm. Yeah. And, and so close to town. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you, you bought this old homestead. Yes. Probably a wee bit of a fixer-upper. It was, <laughs> very much. <laughs> so tell us about that. Well, there'd only been two families lived in it, and they were the Reed family who established Eldersley in 1870s, and their children had, the eldest children had been born in Scotland, but uh, from 1874 thereabouts to 1884, they raised another 10 children. There were 12 there by 1884, and the eldest of that 12 claimed at his 21st birthday the 5,000 acres which surrounded Burnside Homestead, which was really part of Eldersley yeah. uh, across uh, uh, Pine Hill Road and those connecting uh, parts of the valley. So the Burnside was also where they had a couple of other houses, workers. There were 30 families on Eldersley and Burnside in the 1890s. So that family, the the Reed family, lived there till 1928. He died suddenly in 1928, John Forrester Reed, and the Hudsons of Cadbury Fry Hudson bought it. And they were there from 1930 till 1974 when they sold it to us. So we were the third family to take over what is a still remarkable uh, estate as well as the Burnside homestead is the remaining homestead, given that the Eldersley homestead was burnt down in 1959. Mm. It's a great environment for bringing up family, obviously yeah. very productive area. Yeah. And, and also in those days, the schools, we had the choice if we wanted. Uh, Windsor was just one way down uh, literally less than 10 minutes. Enfield was the other way, less than 10 minutes. Five Forks was over the hill because Burnside Road goes on to Post Office Gully and you can go down there in 10 minutes. Uh, it was, And all those schools related well to each other. But we, we obviously we went, our children went to Enfield School and all three of them actually ended up doing university degrees and a, a number of, of their contemporaries from the 1970s, 1980s uh, have done very well from a 60, 
child uh, school in the heart of the Wairaka Valley. So we do not think we needed to be anywhere else in the world. <laughs> no, so you can't beat rural schools for that particular type of, yes. uh, you know, and particularly if you've got good teachers, I mean, that's yes. important, of course. But, yeah, it's a different environment from urban schools. Yeah, something special about a good wee rural school where everyone gets on and everyone yes. knows everyone and everyone pitches in yeah. in the community and that's helps right. out and, yeah. Yeah, we had that at Totra School growing up. That was the same type of yes. community. And yes. Well, just actually just a few weeks ago, um, you know, one of our near neighbours that our children grew up, um, uh, Judy O'Neill, died relatively suddenly. And, you know, the whole of the group of families that were together mm. and, and the children related and, and uh, you know, just our sense the, there's been... Uh, almost into a third generation now of, of relationships. Yeah. So just to clarify, is there a, you were the third owners. Yes. Is there fourth owners Yes, now? there are. There is. Yes, they yeah. took, they bought from us in, in 2020. Yep. So they're just getting established. That is new, <laughs> young ones. Yeah. So you, you tell us about, um, you know, what condition was the, the well, the, the, the house, house was a little bit like we often talk about Omaru's historic precinct. It was benign neglect mm. because nothing drastic had happened to it. Um, and and it, it was still furnished with about 70% of the original furniture from the Reed family. So we took over something which was like a museum. In many people's eyes, that's what it was. Mm. Uh, and, and we uh, adapted it. Uh, we lived in it as a family, uh, and then in the 1990s we turned it into bed and breakfast, which we, at that stage, nobody ever had an idea that the Alpstration would develop, for example. Uh, but we we had a very good, what I'd call, sort of early business. We were the second B&B to open up in the Omaru area. Wow. Uh, and that was 1995. There was quite a number of others that were close uh, on. And we also began to do community events, and particularly music, because it's got a lovely hall and it had a Beckstein grand, which again went back to 1900, still a valued instrument. And uh, and it's uh, it, was, it was great to be able to do both community things as well as open it up to visitors. And a lot were coming from the UK. In fact, we had more UK visitors in the first 10 years than we had in the last 10 years. Oh. Uh, and that was uh, always interesting. We've got a Michael O'Brien visitor book, which actually documents how many people. And I said one day to one of our <clears throat> new tourism uh, managers, do you know, I can show you a visitor's book where we had 800 people visit. They didn't believe me. They didn't know that there were places that actually out in the country had hundreds of people visit, but mm. we did. Yeah. So what do you think was a draw card for the people from the UK? I think it was because they were discovering New Zealand and they were particularly wanting to discover the New Zealand off the beaten track. Yeah. There were many people doing that, probably through till 2010. Uh, not so much the last decade. Now, I, I mean, I can only document that, I think, because Alpstration took over 
Uh, and so we had far more cyclists, and we were booked, to be fair. Sometimes people might have come to us, but they would check out and we weren't available. Yeah. So, But the, the first 20 years, we certainly uh, had a lot of interesting people from all over the world uh, who came to North Otago in a trickle. You know, it wasn't like you're having dozens every day or, or, or weekend, but if you had seven or eight and then another half a dozen, and then, you know, a few couples. It was amazing. Just on an average, we'd expect to have around 100 people a month. Yeah. And you, the, in the high that, season. That, that attraction of living, you know, or staying in a, yeah. a really heritage house yes. um, in, an, in a rural environment, yes. that must have been really attractive. Absolutely. And most people just couldn't believe what they found uh, in North Otago, and we were one sort of place that showed that. And, and then they realised that the lifestyle that people had lived in the, particularly the early 50 years of the set, settlement here, um, was, was remarkable for the way they imported but adapted and made it fit to the South Island. Uh, and, and we were very fortunate because we had the endowments of people who didn't, uh, they put they put the hard uh, yakker in. They they worked and they they made things. I mean, we had an orchard. We were still getting apples off the orchard that where the trees had been planted 120 years previously, and plums and varieties of plums and varieties of fruit that you just don't see today. No. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing apple pies and I think, oh, yes. Absolutely. Cannot <laughs> be beaten. <laughs> You're going by the smile on Bruce's face right at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. brought back some memories. Well, it, was, it wasn't just the smile on my face, it was uh, other parts of me. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to draw. in your stomach, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, very it's good. great. And, and, you know, that lifestyle that you, your kids would have had, it, you know, yeah, pretty hard to beat. Yes, yeah. it is. It is, Absolutely. And so the the business developed, and you you know as as you said, yeah, the Alps Ocean came along, and that was a, a major change for you know right across the district, it which was. was great. Yeah, and and it was interesting because you may recall, of course, a lot of the connecting links in the first five years, we really hosted uh, Alps Ocean from two thousand and eleven in a. Uh, consistent way, and uh, those connecting links, they had to come around the roads. They weren't. They didn't go through the farms. Mm. A lot of it was still being made. Now, Burnside Road was actually quite an important road, and that really did establish us, particularly in the minds of the new tour operators. And the tour operators were looking for having places they could rely on, as well as sell a particular package and sell something that was distinct mm. and different. And that's what they were able to uh, do. And that, that worked for us. And yeah. It worked for them. And, and over the years, we've seen a lot of other accommodation pop yes. up and so on. And, Absolutely. You know, benefiting from the trail, but helping the trail yes. become more populated. So, yeah, it, it must have been good to be one of the leaders in, in that and then watching these others coming. We did all we could to encourage others. Mm. Um, and I have to be fair and say there were one or two tucked away that never got the recognition they deserved uh, because we found it very helpful to know that we could pop along. Um, I'm trying to think of one or two people, but, you know, sometimes there were people who would have an extra room or two that, where we had an overflow. And when the Enfield School was adapted, um, again, beautifully done, uh, and, and at a, a quality level, it was wonderful to be able to work with them. Mm. As also the uh, tavern 
being adapted yes. uh, and becoming a place where we could again access meals, which that was really the decade from 2011 to 2020 was really quite a remarkable development out there. So you had one of the notable homesteads in mm. North Otago, yes. but there are a number, and I don't know that people necessarily realise just well, how many we do have. Exactly. One of your predecessors, Alan McClay, produced a calendar which had Burnside Homestead actually uh, on one cover, had Ian and Gloria Hurst's uh, place out of Papakaio on the other cover, and there were 12 homesteads featured of which six were very distinctly uh, in the top bracket of Heritage New Zealand. Mm. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's what is in the heart of North Otago. Scott Elliff, when he was at Totra Homestead, he developed an, a, uh, what he called historic estates tour. And people could come and they would do lunch or they'd stay overnight. And I frankly think that... Um, one thing that Tourism Waitaki has failed to pick up in terms of product and promotion was that sort of opportunity. Uh, and Alan McClay, his calendar is still valued by people who pick it up. And one of the Australian tour group operators said to me just last year, Bruce, why is this product not being promoted? We would love to see it. Mm. Yeah, no, there's some, some good ones and, and really pleasing to see some of them being done up along the way as yes. well. Yes. There is a market, and I think one other time we talked about maybe moving with and having an app on your phone or some way yes. accessing that yes. way. So, yeah, there's calendar with 12, but there'd be more, many more than 12 oh, places in the district for exactly. people to go and have a look. And people, are, like yourself, only too happy to share your yes. knowledge and yes. your time with the, yes. the history and, and open the building up. And, yeah, right. yeah, it's fantastic. Great idea. Let's do it, Gary. <laughs> well, Pennybrun have tried, and let's be yeah. fair, they've done a particular promotion and they're, they're offering a very distinct product, but yeah. it's still, and the stories are actually tied together. And, and if those stories were better related, I mean, another thing that Scott Elliff did down very successfully in the precinct for at least about three seasons was to have a walking tour that also included, included plays at night and, and, and the wreck That's of right. one of the, of, of the ships off, off the Omaru coast, which then told the story of why the Omaru harbour is as it is. I found all of that because I worked for historic places after I'd been at... at um, Sherry uh, Farm Hospital and then did some other things in line with being on council, I found that the historic area here was really the most, um, how can I put it, the most really interesting place to promote uh, as I moved around and yeah. yeah. No, we've got some amazing buildings. And so just before we move off the homesteads, um, if you weren't allowed to choose your own, which of the North Otago homesteads would you say is the best? I, d I don't think the word best is right. Um, but if you want to look at, at intrigue, there's some like Cumbria uh, out opposite uh, in, in, in um, Alma. Uh, that's a, a, a dear little but significant is homestead. Wilson Spites or one? Yes, that's right. Yeah, it is. Another one, yeah. yeah. It's an and, amazing and, building. And see, at the other end of Omaru, you've got Casanova, yeah, yeah. which has been superbly restored for about the third time, I might add. Mm. Um, but all credit to the current occupants, they've done what was necessary. But I suppose 
um, if I really tried to uh, say what if, um, it would be hard to go past the Windsor Park homestead. Windsor Park homestead is different because it's two-storey Omaru stone. It is a French chateau. And the garden, uh, it's more than a, the expanse of the rolling lawns going right down and the design of the entire environment is really quite remarkable. And if you, sometime you ought to interview Rodney Jones, mm-hmm. who's the current owner and has got a very interesting history uh, in his own life, as well as he is determined that New Zealand will value what was invested there and because Eldersley can never be restored like that, um, he sees Windsor Park. So I would go there if I really yeah. had my choice. Yeah, and there's a lot of work going on there yes. at the moment, isn't there? huge yeah. amount. I've, yes. I've never been there. Maybe a road trip, Gary. We take the podcast <laughs> on the road, head <laughs> up try the and, valley. Try and catch a time when Rodney's in, in residence. Well, he's not... actually been there quite a lot yeah. uh, during COVID. Yeah. And, and he's actually now saying that that is a place to be in terms of where in New Zealand they'd like to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, very good. And um, so d- during those years, you've done a lot of other things sure. as well. Yes. So like, let's let's go to the 90s. So <laughs> Yes. I think we have to deal with this decade at a time. Um, <laughs> so tell, tell us, um, I mean, that, that was when you got on council. But, but, you know, yes. Tell us about some of the other things that you've done and, and, and what you did on council. Yes. Well, I, I, I will skip the politics. I simply record that I stood for Labour in 1993, which was really an interesting synergy between my being involved with Christian social services and the hospitals and, and, and particularly for mental health care. Omaru at that stage had something that only three places in New Zealand had, and that was called a family health counselling service. And that family health counselling service was founded in effect by the Waitaki Hospital Board in conjunction with the Minister's Association. And they jointly got the community to put together, if you like, the support trust for it, and the government of the day took from their beer and backy fund, as it was called, yeah. and and provided the wherewithal for Omaru to have a family health counselling service. And that was one of the, uh, if you like, levers that we used in getting the Omaru Hospital. But unfortunately, they sacrificed the counselling services into so-called public health and a mental health team, which frankly, I don't think, and it wasn't because I ran it, Mike Carpenter might be a name you remember, Gary, but Mike Carpenter was a UK uh, man and then he was followed by somebody else. They they actually established there was a proper addiction service, uh, there was alcoholism recovery, and it was all happening here in Omaru. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was there for 15 years. So I was elected to council in 1995 and I was determined to try and at least contribute where, if if we put it this way, where the community actually got more ability to support and develop its own services. And I have to be fair and say I would never have been able to do it if people like Duncan Taylor, who was the mayor at the time, uh, Bill Fraser... Uh, and others, Rodney Grater, 
Uh, of course, the huge hospital march had a had a really good effect politically. It gave us leverage. So my involvement really from the time I was elected to council was very much to support development of the health and family services that, that went with it. And we did something which I think now some people regret, but we moved the hospital from the hill and it meant that the uh, council set up a Waitaki District Health Service. And the only other thing that I would put alongside of it at that time, we also set up the first economic development unit for tourism. And those were the things that occupied me from 95 to 2001. So the hospital deserves a little more detail, I think. Yes. So, I mean, there was good reasons why it needed to move. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, maintenance was... Uh, there was no difficult. maintenance. Yeah. In fact, the, the the people who serviced, and I don't say this uh, against any particular group, the people who serviced couldn't even tell you where the sewerage lines were. Um, they literally had a hospital up on the hill there that had been bequeathed and had grown like Topsy. And, and it was a huge, I mean, it was a hundred-bed hospital. Yeah. And it was a, a nurse's home for 120-odd Nurses. It was a training hospital for nurses. And all of that was still happening until surgery was cancelled. And that was one of the, if you like, real triggers for the uprising. And that was cancelled about 1992, 93, uh, because I used to take people up there for uh, consultations um, right up until 92, 93. I forget the exact date, but it was around that time. Surgery was cancelled and it caused an uproar. But the the reason why we were able to establish the new hospital down uh, on the flat was, one, we gave them the land, we gave them a building that was adaptable initially. The architects and the health beavers didn't want to adapt that building, but when they saw the advantages to doing it, they actually decided it was worth doing. And they then had more money for services at that stage, if only. Mm, indeed. <laughs> so you, you were very instru instrumental in retaining a lot of the services that we were otherwise yes. going to lose, and Ken yeah. Scott was in there as well. Yes, Ken and I were actually retained, and we were recognised by the government. To be fair, I have to say, they, the government really came to the party once they saw that Waitaki was serious. Yeah. and that Waitaki was willing to put its own uh, shoulder to the wheel. And it was seen by some as a model uh, that, that could have been taken on board and become a, a part of what was regional New Zealand. I've still got a clear memory, and I, and I think it's a, a, it's a shame that a lot of media don't do their research, Omaru was never a rural hospital. It was a regional hospital. And the distinction is significant in terms of funding. So I could go on about this, and I think no, Gary knows. No, oh, I know. Yeah. No, but Bruce, I, I just I'm really enjoying listening and seeing through your eyes and yeah. hearing your experience. It's just really important um, that you get to share this side of it. And I know you probably have, but it's nice that uh, we're hearing it today and hearing your part and what you've done. And just you moved into our district, and all of a sudden you got very passionate about our district, mm. and you wanted to promote it, and you wanted to see the best for it. So, yeah, that's probably why you're on the podcast today, because you're a man of action, and um, you just got things done. Well, some people think I've put my feet up. <laughs> you put your feet up. Who says that? Send them to I'm, see I'm us. Still, <laughs> I'm still willing to use my tongue and my fingers. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
No, it was. I mean, it was a major achievement. To, to you know, there was a five million dollar loan from the government yes. to yeah. help do the you know create the building that is there. Um, that was eventually um, waived. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Which, you know, there's a lot. Of, there's been a lot of a lot of change over the time, and yeah. um, you know, thing, things are tricky now. But yeah, the things that we need to address, aren't they? The interesting thing was it was guaranteed that we would have a forty bed hospital. And that 40-bed hospital was commensurate with regional hospitals elsewhere. And give or take, even then they actually thought that our population wouldn't sustain or that it would, if it grew, it would grow, grow at the margins only. Whereas, I mean, clearly the whole district has now become quite different and therefore the provision should be appropriate to it. It is still, in my view, a regional hospital that should be funded regionally. But unfortunately, Dunedin has really used and taken the funding that belongs to the entire region. And uh, I I don't apologise for saying it because there aren't too many people who can honestly, shall we say, say it from knowledge. Yeah. Indeed. And and, we're not getting, we can say that, we're just not getting heard, are we? So Dunedin are always going to take that. Well, they, they feel entitled to it and they feel like, yeah. I agree. They provide us services we can't provide for ourselves and and that should be properly factored in. But they have not yeah. actually funded the services that we have provided that saved them. One of the other things that even the current government, both sides, I actually had some fairly direct talks with friends of mine uh, through uh, the the Labor government, uh, there's no question that we relieved the Crown of a huge debt and yep. liability by abandoning that site, which technically the Crown had responsibility for. Their commitment was that they would sustain the equivalent responsibility for the capital servicing of the new hospital. And again, I have had some discussion with you, Gary, recently about this. I just think it's got to be brought to the forefront again. And I don't believe that there's been a proper capital charge in place. Mm. Just like you depreciate council, all council assets have to be funded from intergenerational funding in the past and into the future. And that's where they may have done some of it, but they appear not to be being funded as it should be. So you'll, you'll be pleased to know we are meeting with Minister of Health, Andrew Little, um, very shortly, and uh, we've I've extended an invitation to Rob Campbell, Chair of Health in New Zealand, to come and visit. Um, we had a meeting Excellent. with the Canterbury Mural Forum this week. and right. So, yeah, there's there's some – we're trying to get some traction and get the powers that, that um, you know, have got the ability to do something about yes. it to actually come and listen and, and see what we've got. So. I must give you some more notes. Yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> I think – we put a wee earpiece in Gary and then you can just tell him what to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll just bring Bruce with me. <laughs> yeah, Bruce. Um, it's good. Thank you for fighting for our district for what's right. right. And well. thank you for that. And um, uh, look, there's always two sides and people disagree, but mm. I, I know at the heart of it, your heart is to see the district grow mm. and the district benefited. Uh, benefit from um, what we have here, our resources and our assets. Mm. Absolutely. And that's yeah. just part of what you do. So thank you for doing that. So, it's a privilege. It yeah. is a privilege. Well, where we live is one of the best places on earth, no question. Look, I, everyone on the podcast, you know, we wouldn't here. Yeah, we don't disagree. Yes. It's, 
what we have here is very special. It is. Very special. And um, the uniqueness from our buildings to our heritage mm. to um, the vibe, the energy, the mm. cafes, you know, mm. the businesses in town, the boutique shops, and mm. everything we have, artists, it's, it's very unique. And so to keep it keep it going, and I think every generation pass on to the next generation, yes. and everyone do that, but they can, and it just makes us a better place for many, many generations to come. And one of my personal hobbies, which again, Gary, does know, I did continue on after council, was the Forestry Gallery. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that is an asset as well as being extremely valuable. Uh, and again, I mean, there are just people who would give their eye teeth to be able to exhibit to a wider public uh, the stories that go with what we have got at the Forest Gallery, the painters, the column wheelers uh, and the others, the Janet Frame story, linking those in. And, and you know, and it is great. And I, I know how hard it is for council to achieve a balance of investment as well as a balance of public support. But, you know, those things need to be, again, look, people come here because of them and they come to live here because they see their if you like, the beauty of life is is enhanced by having access and, and, and the ability to enjoy these things. Very true. Very true. The, um, the years you were on council, the two terms, I mean, they were, they were tough years. There was, you know, population decline and it was predicted, you know, doom and gloom and things. But, um, you know, some of the things that were achieved um, – you know, at that time, you built the new aquatic centre. Exactly. Uh, the Penguin <laughs> Colony expansion. And the Penguin Colony, that was a real turning point, you know, that development of t- going yes. going from a wee yeah. tin shed to, to actually saying we're going to develop something major here right. as an attraction. Do you remember Blue May? Yes. Well, Blue May was, was head of Summit Wool Spinners, and I went to Blue, um, and I, th- I forget who it was, but I mean, it might have been Duncan, but we nobody felt that he wanted to be part of uh, the penguin colony come tourism and so on. And I, I went to him and then a couple of others came and we looked at it and he was really supportive of the whole idea that if we saw it as a package of genuine economic development and we set up the first Waitaki Economic Development Board, but... Do you know, two years later, he came and said it was wrong of us to include tourism. He said we should never have done that. He said because you cannot get people who genuinely understand both sides of the product. And and you may recall how many times we changed the people who ran the show. And uh, you might want to inter- edit this, <laughs> but I really don't think it will work again mm. uh, because you cannot. And and the regional tourism organisation, which I absolutely say, and I've got a good Australian connection and have had for twenty five years. If we want Waitaki to stay as part of the top level of, of tourism support. And communications, you've got to have a regional tourism organisation. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a challenging one. And, yeah, the development board became Tourism Waitaki and, yes. you know, because it wasn't really doing much else in, yeah. in economic development. I mean, it was very instrumental in the early 2000s oh, yeah. around irrigation yeah. and, and solving some of the dilemma yeah. between yeah. Com- you know, all the conflicts. But, um, yeah, it really went on to just be tourism. 
So you, you, two thousand and one, you left council. Yes, and you were with Heritage New yes, Zealand then. Yes, was it? I, I moved within. They actually came and 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 uh, headhunted me, yeah. uh, and and I went to Christchurch. In effect, I had my office there, but I gave me. I had an office in Dunedin as well, and the idea was that I still could live in in Omaru and and commute and. I had ambitions of being home three or four nights a week, but that didn't always work. Um, but I did commute between Christchurch and Dunedin, and the and the uh, I had the responsibility for the properties in the South Island, of which there were sixty staff, uh, and trying to run and connect and coordinate, you know, with sixty staff is not very easy. Uh, but the two offices in Dunedin were staffed by. Excellent people, Heather Bocop. I actually employed her, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and Heather's working for the Waitangi yes, District Council. She's here yeah. advisor. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Yes, well, <laughs> and I'd have to say that that Heather is probably the most qualified person in New Zealand, and I don't know all the, the more recent people in Wellington, but I do know that there would be. Uh, there, it would be very difficult for anybody to have the body of knowledge that Heather has brought. Um, but, but not just that. She's actually a very nice person yes. and she works with common sense. Yeah, like absolutely. She just fant- oh, you had her. a bit to do with it yeah, with the church. Yeah, no, I've had a lot to do. Well, mm. not a lot, but mm. I just know she was like a breath of fresh air because yeah. sometimes you just hit brick wall after brick wall. Yeah. One conversation with her and she goes, ah, yeah, I can see what you're doing. Mm. No, that, that should be fine. And it is, yeah, she was really encouraging just to carry on and um, – yeah. Well, you know, Heather's a, a wonderful example of somebody who had what you called good academic understanding and qualifications, but she came with a community perspective. Yeah. And that's why we employed her, and she very rapidly, uh, and in fact one or two of the senior academics in the university I know have wanted her, and I, she may have done some work for them, but we're very fortunate to have people like her. Yeah, I mean, she hit the ground running here because she, she knew a lot about our buildings already, because she yeah, had actually written yeah. the Heritage New Zealand descriptions right. of many of them. Yes. One of the people that I did quite a lot of work with was Gavin McLean. You see, I mean, Gavin is Omaru born and bred and sadly has died, but what he left us, the legacy of work that he did and research, it's one of the things that I'm still hoping that I might make a contribution to, because there is a lot of information and... and um, stories which are not yet connected. And one of the things that I think happens in councils as well as in other parts of the community is people don't pass on the knowledge that they have got and we need to do that much more effectively. Yeah, I agree. And it's not just in councils. Of sure. Yeah, it's in a lot, even in families too. Yes. And um, just, yeah. So this podcast is one of those is to pass on some information. Yeah, so sure. it's, it's doing a little part, I guess, uh, 1% of passing on some good information <laughs> in the district. But, yeah. Oh, it's a great idea. Yeah. I'm very happy to be sharing it. Oh, we're happy to have you. We're really happy. I'm finding out a lot at the moment. So what else have you been involved with in our district? What else has been, you been passionate about? Or Well, I mean, there were actually out at Totra Estate some very important historic uh, commemorations, which I think, again, some people take for granted. I mean, it is the home not just of the frozen meat industry, it's the home of New Zealand's export industry. And a person like John Ackland, uh, 
you know, who was the chairman of the Meat and Wool Board and, and you know, was respected in Parliament by every part of, of the political spectrum. John said Totra Estate had to be elevated into almost like a, a national uh, icon and, and commemoration. Yeah. Um, Helen Clark came when she was Prime Minister and the only previous Prime Minister was Rob Muldoon. Wow. And, and, you know, and Helen was Minister of, of Heritage and, again, she totally agreed. And Bill Tramposh, who was the director of Williamsburg, you know, which is the home of the American history and still seen now, I went there not so long ago, as the way of telling the story. He said Totra should be enlarged. The, the, the harbour should be linked. People should be taken from the harbour to Totra and also some of the estates where it happened. And uh, again, you know, we have got people uh, who are doing other parts of what I'd call the heritage activities that if it was all linked together, and Totra Estate could, could well be. I'd love to see a sailing ship down beside Sumter Wharf. Um, which would commemorate in a very graphic way. Yeah. And again, people would easily be linked then to go and see. And Totra could do a lot more with its history, but it is the home of New Zealand's export industry. Uh, and, 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 you know, that makes our area yeah. uh, highly significant. significant. Yeah. Just like, I mean, further down, you know, Clark's flour mill. There's no other flour mill left in New Zealand that has got what Clark's flour mill has got. So it's a pretty and, amazing place when it's all up and running, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. And 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 um, yeah, I I do dream a little bit about that. <laughs> it's easy to see what you're passionate about, which is really good. It's really good to have um, yeah people like yourself who are passionate yes. about our history and keeping it alive. So. Um, yeah, you, you've been involved in a range of events and, you know, different different activities and so forth. Do you, you want to share any stories around that? Well, I, I suppose there are two th- areas, again, that I haven't really mentioned a great deal about is the musical side, which, uh, you know, Omaru's got a wonderful musical tradition and it has got musical assets, not least the Opera House mm. um, and the the uh, what it represents and what it's still able to promote. But associate that with the Hall of Memories, for example, of Waitaki Boys. And and you've got two other colleges. Again, all of those things to me are part and parcel of a tradition which needs more uh, support. We've lost some things like the Garrison Band. They are still there, but only just hanging on by a thread. And and some some towns actually invest more to bring together and give give scholarships, for example, to the brass musicians and make sure that they are uh, genuinely assisted. And we've got plenty that we could probably do. So I see that and not uh, forgetting that one of the reasons we did so well with the Scott uh, 100 year commemoration was we brought out not uh, people from the UK, we had people from Australia, we had people from all over, and the Navy came. And the Navy said to us, we need a band. You know, where's the band? Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, we had we, we managed to have a, a great celebration and we did things like parades and, we, and, uh, and, and, and paid tribute down on the harbour to the fact, you know, that the uh, 
um, South Pole expedition of, of Scott and, and those that perished in it had a very strong connection back here. Can and you just tell us just a wee bit of that history and why you celebrated the 100 years well, and because, what happened? Can you just share yeah, for the podcast listeners? Yeah, I mean, the, the reason was that the ship Terranova came back to New Zealand to report what had happened. They wanted to go to where, if you like, um, it was easier to go probably to Port Chalmers or Littleton because they were uh, ports that serviced the Terra Nova previously before they went. But then they also wanted to ensure that it was appropriately the news sent to London. And their advice, which we still don't really know who gave it, but was that Omaru would be the safest place. So Terranova came in and parked just off out there beside the uh, breakwater and sent a boat in in the very early hours of the morning and the story of that was told and how the harbour master facilitated it. And then they were put on the train and sent up to uh, Christchurch where the actual message was sent from. But there was a message uh, which was relayed uh, in appropriate terms. And it, it, it seems like what you'd call a very small link, but that link has also been significant. I went to the Scott Polar Research Institute in Cambridge. They regard Omaru as a linchpin, a place, as well as they think what an amazing place uh, for it would, it's it suited. And one of the, um, people who, interestingly, had a... You actually had at Columba Church here the wife of Dr Edward Wilson who came here when she came and spent a few months. She wanted to come to the nearest place, to the South Pole, with the most significance for her in terms of the diary she read of her husband. And there's a wonderful book on Wilson. He was a wonderful Christian. and, And he... Uh, he gave a wonderful legacy to his family and she stayed here in Omaru in order to have that connection. So, you know, I could tell you a lot more stories around the Scott 100. The family actually stayed in Omaru for a week. The Scott family had never come together like that before and it's it's meant a lot to them. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, for them all to gather like that and, you know, commemorate their ancestor and, mm. you know, and the, what happened. I mean, we've got a number of memorials around the town. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's, it's not insignificant that we've no, got those. it isn't. A wonderful weather-beaten old oak uh, over here at, at the top of Aaron Street yeah. and, and the little fence around it and the seat there. I mean, that was put by our forebears mm. as their way of recognising uh, Scott and the, and the history. Yeah. Mm. So... Yeah, you, you've hosted music events out at Burnside, mm. um, so mm. you know mm. there's, there's been those different things as well, and it's um, you, you've had some pretty good musicians here, I think. The Royal Overseas League still promotes a New Zealand a Commonwealth scholarship, which New Zealand has been a participant in, but each year they bring out the winners of the UK. Uh, scholarship, which is often a, a, a group of two or three musicians, a chamber music group, or or two or three that can can perform together, can be a violinist and pianist, for example, or and and it's always instrumental, and they uh, also then do the scholarship 
here in New Zealand for leading young people from mainly from the universities where there's a music department. So we've hosted here in Omaru, not every year, but probably over the years from, I think it was about 2005 we first did it, right through to 2020, we've had a dozen of those groups. And once or twice they've played in town, but they've mainly played at Burnside Homestead because the Big Stone Grand Piano there was the one that they wanted to play. <laughs> and and we're just very blessed to have been able to share it. And and uh, some of them, there are recordings of those concerts and people can't believe that they exist. Mm. They are quite amazing. And, and these are um, young people who've performed in the Great Halls, the Royal Albert Hall in London, the Carnegie, uh, you know, in the States and so on. And one of them, for example, he kept in touch with me and, and he said, he said, I know I've played in fantastic venues and people think that those are the, he said, but the night in Omaru, he said, is one I'll never mm. forget. Oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. What a yeah. great story. Yeah. So there's good acoustics out there. Right? Yeah, perfect acoustics. Right. We've even had people from the Otago University, I won't name them because they might say, hey, commercial sensitivity, but... Um, <laughs> People from Otago University have, have come to Burnside, practised in our hall and had a perfect recording. They took it to Radio New Zealand and Radio New Zealand did their own recording because that's what they normally did. This is a few years ago. They listened to the one at Burnside and they played on Radio New Zealand the one at Burnside because it was a better acoustic. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That yeah. is really impressive, yeah. <laughs> it is one of the interesting uh, factors. You can talk out there like we're talking now and you'd never need one decibel of amplification. Mm. Okay, more recently you've, you know, you've been focusing on young people and um, the future and looking at how to build capability and so on there. So do you want to tell us a wee bit more about that? In terms of, of the future of Burnside, you mean? No, sorry, yeah. uh, just just with our young people in the, in the Waitaki district. Well, um, I don't feel that I've been able to do a great deal in that re that respect, but I, I, I believe that what we can do, I mean... Uh, for example, I think that the Waitaki Museum and its programs, the Forester Gallery and its programs, um, and I, I've also been very interested, and this is probably one of the things you're driving at, the Aspiring Leaders Forum in uh, Wellington, which is a, an interesting mix of what you'd call setting great ethical and moral uh, goals for young people, as well as putting it in the spectrum of political and commercial uh, public leadership. And I think that that has been something that we have had the opportunity, and, uh, and Gary, you and I were able to send some really good young people. Um, we might have missed out in earlier years, but mm. I hope we do, certainly don't. Uh, and I think that is one of the responsibilities that those of us who are still in our dotage um, ought to do to encourage and also to show that there are resources that make a difference, and those resources build uh, capacity for people locally as well as on the wider spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Very good.
I just enjoyed listening to everything you have to say today, Bruce. It just has been really helpful for me and it just puts a lot of puzzle pieces together. So thank you very much for what you've shared and uh, what you've brought today. Um, I have a couple of questions for you, though. I'd like to um, chuck a couple of curly ones in there. What was the one thing that when you sold Burnside, you said, I can't sell that with the property, that's coming with me. What's the one thing you put value on there? Other than Alison. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say. (laughs) Other than your wife. What was the one thing you thought, that just reminds me of the homestead and you... The the Beckstone Grand. So you did take that. Yes, we've taken that. Although I don't want to say too much about it, but it's been in St Luke's Church uh, for quite a bit of the time. It's currently in the Opera House. Is it really? Uh, Yes, and and, um, we're very happy for it to be used for yeah. the community in whatever way. Yeah. But it, I have to say, it's Bruce's while he's still on this earth. Yeah, <laughs> really good. But it's nice that something that grand yeah. is still being used and yeah. still, yeah. It's the most beautiful instrument. Yeah. It really is. Do you play it yourself quite often I, or do you? Not, not for anybody else's hearing. No. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it, it is a great satisfaction. My greatest satisfaction is hearing good pianists play it. Yeah. No, and um, last question I probably have for you. No, it's a good one. What's your project for the future? You strike me as a man who likes to keep busy. <laughs> and um, what would one thing you'd like to see in this district going forward? If you could get involved in one thing or see one thing kicked off, what would it be? Well, I, I really would love to see what I would call a better bringing together of the written resources. And, I mean, you mentioned, I think, for example, that um, for some people they'd like to be able to go online and just get an app which linked them. I think that a good app links you to substance and the information is backed up by, for those who can and will, go a little further or a bit deeper. I'd like to be part of the coordinating of those resources. And again, without wanting, because my approach is genuinely positive. I look for the positives rather than the negatives. But I do think that we have lacked putting it together. We've often, and we've still got fragments here and there. One of the great things that I think that the museum and gallery have done more and they're doing it for the schools is putting things together so they have a good package of information and activity and it goes forward and I'd really like to see that happen uh, and I'd like to contribute because I am aware and I mentioned a couple of my colleagues to you we've got to ensure we don't uh, go without making sure that it's available. Let me mention one book or two books. There's a book called uh, Run a State Farm written by Scotter. He wrote it for the 1948 Otago Centennial, but it's the North Otago story. And, and it tells the story of Omaru, the railways. It tells the story of the churches um, and, and a whole range of things associated with the runs, the estates and the farms. And that book, you know, is, is gold. And we, I wouldn't know half of what I know about our predecessors the previous hundred years if I hadn't read that book and used it. There's another one called Common Ground, and that was written by Gavin McLean. 
you know, Omaru's, Gavin McLean. Do you know what's on the front of that book? I don't. I must make sure you. Yeah. It has a photo of the Columba Church. Is that right? <laughs> yes. And it it there is a book that was promoted in Wellington and actually delivered, or you know, the the launch of it was in Wellington. And Columbia Church was on the front because it showed what an ordinary community in a suburb had built. (laughs) And and to come back to your question, I'd like to ensure that while we're still on, uh, as part of this, that the ordinary people's legacies are valued and properly recorded. Well, it's very... Yeah, a noble aspiration, and yeah, I hope you succeed. And Thank you. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. I'll ask how I might be able to help, but yeah, yeah. yeah it, no, it's let great. me do that. How could Gary? <laughs> help you? We'll take this one offline. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, it's been great talking to you today, Bruce. We Jeez. really appreciated you giving up your time and sharing mm. your stories. It's been fantastic. Yeah, no, thank you for coming into our district and just adding so much value. And I know you've been here for a while, but you are a North Otago legend just because what you've done since you've been here and how much you've just uh, raised the standard of this district. So thank you very much for doing that and thank you for promoting it and being one of our biggest ambassadors wherever you go and whatever you do. You always sing the praises of North Otago and the Waitaki Mm, district. So thank you for that and, um, yeah, keep... May you keep doing it for many, many years to come. Thanks. Well, I think you probably learned a bit today, Damien. Well, um, yeah, I, I actually did learn a bit today. <laughs> I'm interested in getting my hands on those two books that Bruce just talked about and just having a good look through because that's something I, you know, um, you know, I'm getting older now and, and the history and that. When you're young, sometimes you don't want to know that stuff. But actually, I'm quite um, I'm inspired about the people who went before us and and some of that history and what it all means. So no, today yeah. was good. Yeah, no, the chance well, to tie I have together. To be honest, I mean, here am I. I'm, I'm a neighbour just down the road, <laughs> and I've got two copies of Common Ground. I think I've got three copies of Run Estate Farm. Yeah, you shall get within the next day or two. A coffee beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is a good man. I'll teach you to read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I think we'll sign off there, Gary. That was yeah. probably enough from you. Absolutely. And, and it's probably enough from me. Definitely. All right, we'll catch you next week. Cheers.